three, mission number two, three, six, five. I'm going to be attacking the oil refinery in the southern part of Baghdad. Backup target is the airfield, which is the IP. Let me make no doubt about this fact that the most important wingman or wingman is yourself. The person staring back at you in the mirror when you zip up your flight suit every morning because when you're under pressure. When the fear is real. When if you don't do something, you're dead. You're darn tootin' right, you better be prepared. You better have that confidence and ability. It's how you operate when there's turbulence, when there's headwinds, when you're low on fuel, when the enemy's coming at you, when some of your wingmen fall out. Welcome to the Toughness Podcast. I'm your host, Paddy Steinfurt. And on today's episode, we are really going to be flying. And that's my first and hopefully last pun for the show. But our guest today is a decorated fighter pilot and retired Air Force Lieutenant Colonel. He's flown 65 combat missions. And it's not like he was just the best of the best, as they say in Top Gun. He overcame a debilitating phobia in order to do that. And since then, he's gone on to become a New York Times bestselling author, an in-demand speaker, and a consultant helping to translate the lessons of being a fighter pilot to everyday business and life. Welcome to the show, Waldo Waldman. Great to be here, Patty. I love speaking with people like you. Not only are you a badass, given everything I just described earlier as part of your career, but the energy that you have when you're talking in some of your public speaking, if, any, if you haven't seen Waldo's work, you can find him online. It's some amazing stuff. But it reminds me a little bit of when I, I literally just flew here the other day on a commercial airline and you have the flight attendant up the front who gives the announcement or even better when the pilot does it and they can come on and they can check their boxes and just go through the motions or they have an energy and they treat every single address like it's important. There's either humor or fun about it and there's just something different, right? And that's the feeling that I get when I watch your videos and, and I already feel that with you. This episode is going to be great. So, I mean, without playing too much on that plane theme, it's probably a good place to start from is that you grew up around planes, right? Is that what led you to do what you did in the Air Force? or It, it, it definitely was an impetus. My dad was a mechanic, not a pilot on the big jumbo jets at Kennedy Airport. He used to take us to work and I'd smell the jet fuel, hear the rumble of the jet engines. And one day he strapped me in the cockpit. I started to play with the switches and you know, I'm like, dad, what's this place for? He said, it's the cockpit. It's where the pilot flies the plane. And so I knew at that moment that I didn't want to fix the planes like my dad, that I wanted to fly them. So it, it, you know, really brought out this fascination for aviation and the air and be playing soccer and baseball. And I was always, you know, looking at the planes, calling them out and everybody made fun of me. And sure enough, that's where I wound up spending a significant portion of my career. Yeah. And the, the pathway to that significant portion of your career is probably something that is worth digging into because uh, more than a few listeners, definitely myself, had an interest in planes. My grandfather used to always talk about the Tiger Moth and all these other different like special types of planes. Sure. And I was, I had models and stuff, but I, it never led me to being in the Air Force and a fighter pilot. And so you pursued it with a depth and an intensity above and beyond most people who had an interest in planes. What was the separating factor for you of like, okay, I kind of like this versus I'm going to make this my life? So I want you to kind of draw a parallel between 
flying jets, my passion, my dream, and to basically that common word known as passion. I had a passion, a dream, a goal, a compelling goal, a high but achievable goal that I felt compelled to attain. And when I realized that that was my true north, that's where I wanted to be, I knew that there would be steps necessary to achieve that. And they would be difficult steps. But somebody who is passionate about something, is willing to sacrifice, put in the hard work, has a compelling goal, and then will do what's necessary to achieve it, they're willing to do what it takes and obviously build up that mental muscle, that mental toughness that you're an expert in. And so for the folks that are listening or watching this, you may have a goal to start your company, to be center field for the Boston Red Sox or the Yankees, to be a fighter pilot, to start your license, to become a father or a mother, to become a CEO. Whatever that is, you have got to have that compelling goal that drives you every day. And for me, it was aviation and flying. And then I fell in love with the military and the discipline. And ultimately, to me, what I share with my clients who I coach, it's about excellence. It's about a passion for excellence. The conduit for me was flying jets, now being a professional speaker and author. But for others, it's different things. You've got to be willing to go through the crucible, the pain and pleasure, the sacrifices necessary to achieve that dream. And, and I was just willing to do it. Didn't mean I was necessarily any smarter or more skilled than others, although I worked on that. It meant that I had this passion and drive that I was going to willing to break through whatever it took to make it happen. Yeah. You said there you were willing to do it. It's a word that comes up often in these conversations. It's not really commonly associated with being tough, but that willingness to do, as you said, the pleasure and the pain along the path of whatever it is you're chasing. Is that what toughness means to you in your experience? Let's just say purely as a fighter pilot, I love the fact that you're able to extrapolate to all these other areas, but let's just dig in on that part of your right. so far. Toughness in the cockpit. When you're heading into a combat zone, you're obviously not going alone. There's a few, you know, you've got your wingmen, you're, you're with your squadron. Right. But what does toughness mean? You look to your left and your right and you see other pilots and you know them, you've flown with them before, or maybe you haven't, but what do you want to see in them that indicates like that gives you security? These, this is going to be a tough crew. So there's a lot of different points that you brought up there because the fact that you can look out on your wing, you know, you're flying this plane, right? But you have your wingmen, those men and women who are flying with you or for you, who you're leading, who are leading you. And so that ability to know that you have folks who are going to have your back, who are going to fill in the gaps that you may be weak in, who will build the picture. This is, you know, if you look at it as, as teamwork, ultimately, they have your back, you have theirs. They are your trusted partners. But let me make no doubt about this fact that the most important wingman or wingman is yourself. The person staring back at you in the mirror when you zip up your flight suit every morning and stare at that person, salute smartly and say, I believe in him or her. I'm confident in myself because I put in the work, I have the integrity and core values and necessary, you know, what I call heart set to drive through trains, to prepare, to, to be a good human being. And that ultimately that I've done what's necessary to be confident in myself so when I cross the forward edge of the battle area, we call it the FIBA, when we go master arm hot and people will be trying to kill us, and if I hit that pickle button, something's going to come off that aircraft, I am confident in myself. And so no greater teamwork attribute 
there's nothing greater than just having the skill and competence to know you're going to do your job because we've all worked with people either on a sports team or in business or in life who, hey, you may have liked them, but they didn't have the skill or the discipline or the character to go through those tough times to be in battle. Because when you're under pressure, when the fear is real, when if you don't do something, you're dead, you're darn tootin' right, you better be prepared, you better have that confidence and ability. And you want your teammates, your wingmen to have that confidence in you. So it's it's mutual support. It's symbiotic. We're all dependent on each other, but make no bones about it. You've got to have the skill, the passion, the drive, the resilience, the mental toughness to be able to execute on your own first. Know your job, do your job, and everything follows from that. Absolutely love that. Oh, my God. I've got like three moments there where I got goosebumps. I didn't want to interrupt because you were flowing. <laughs> but there is like there's so much to dig into reflecting the know your job, do your job, and then everything flows from that. It's a lot of work that I'll do with performers in a different area and lives aren't on the line with the guys that I work with day to day, but their careers are on the line. Their livelihoods are on the line. Their egos are on the line in some cases. And that creates a similar emotion set within the individual, within the operator. And a lot of the time when they're talking about being leaders or being elite players, it's like, yeah, cool. But there's levels of that. There's levels of leadership. First is you've got to be able to lead yourself. You've got to be able to do your job, know your job, do your job, and then it all flows from there. Then you can influence the person in the next locker. Then you can influence the person across from you in the locker room, and then it can go from there. So I I love what you said about that. And, And just getting used to performing under pressure. You know, resilience to me, being having a champion mindset isn't just playing well when the stakes are down and you're ahead or there's no threats in the air and the weather is perfect. It's how do you operate when there's turbulence, when there's headwinds, when you're low on fuel, when the enemy's coming at you, when some of your wingmen fall out, when before you took off that day, you got a phone call and you had some bad news. I remember getting ready to fly many missions or training sorties for that matter, where I may have had an argument with somebody in my family or something was going on. My twin brother was playing in Yankee Stadium, actually, in, in an amateur baseball game, and he had a baseball smashed in his face. He needed surgery, a metal plate. I remember flying later on that week with him on my mind. How do you respond when things aren't going well? And the more you put yourself into those precarious, stress-filled situations, and you're able to drive through them, fly through them, play through them, now you're building that resilience that is far and beyond, you know, being able to listen to a beautiful song or smell a flower or meditate or go for a walk, which kind of eases your mind of the burden of pressure. But it's saying, Patty, teammates, myself, I'm confident today. I've got mental toughness because I've been there before. I'm used to it and I can make it happen. And so I challenge the folks who are listening to put yourself in those precarious situations, even if you fail and get used to that, that builds up the confidence as well. And and many people are not willing to put themselves in those precious situations. Those are the wingmen that I want to fly with. Those are the ones who I want in my formation, coaching me, mentoring me, pushing me. And most important, I want it in myself. And then we do that in in the silent, quiet, personal decisions that we make every day that build that courage, accountability, and mental toughness. Yeah. yeah. I mean, you, you, there's two things there that I definitely want to dig into. One is the idea of facing your fears, which you mentioned there, and you have a perfect case in point of doing that 
in order to just be able to do your job. And secondly, want to dig into the how you do that. I think some of the stuff that I've read of yours and I've heard you speak is like, is probably going to bring that out. But before we go to those, you did mention a word that I, my ears pricked up because I love creative terminology for things that aren't that well-defined. You, Everyone hears about mindset. We know of growth mindset. We know of having the you know, killer mindset, all these sort of things. But you use the word heart set, mm-hmm. which is different, right? Obviously a different word just firstly, but I assume it means something different than mindset to you. Can you explain that to us? Yeah. So if you look at your your mindset, that's, you know, your positive attitude, your confidence that you may have. It's, you know, maybe involves knowing that you have other people on your team. You're looking at the benefits of what you're going to do. You're, you're driven. And then there's skill set, your ability to know your processes and know your tools and technologies. Even if you look at what we're doing today, we talked about our microphone. I got some nice lighting. We're in this new virtual environment. If you're in sports, you know, how much have you practiced and know the game? But heart set is more about that passion that we talked about in the beginning, that commitment that's married to your passion. It's about being willing to do whatever it takes to accomplish your dream and what inspires you, not what keeps you up at night, which is fear-based. Like a lot of people are saying, well, what keeps you up at night? No, no, that's a fear-based question. I want to know what gets you out of bed. I want to know what drives you to say, I'm ready to take on the day, Love kick the mass and make things happen, right? Love that. And so that's aligned with heart set. So it's not what keeps you up at night. That's as important as what gets you out of bed. So we need to start focusing on more courage-based thinking and passion-based thinking, which subjugates or sublimates the negativity that's inherent in fear-based thinking. Love so if that. you're going up to, to bat or flying a jet saying, oh, I'm going to get my butt shot down today. If you're going up to that you've been, you, you know, you're 0 for 4 and you've got to start thinking, what do I need to do? I got to start focusing on that win, envisioning it and the passion and drive and the exhilaration that you feel when you kick ass, when you accomplish the goal, when you fly the mission, take out the target, hit the home run. That's what gets you out of bed. Love it. And that, that's, that really ties back to that idea of willingness that you mentioned at the start, because I, this is an exercise that I use semi-regularly when I, you know, with an NFL pro bowl cornerback with a college baseball player, I will sometimes share something that I call a willingness contract where it's like, hey, on my path towards becoming an all pro or on my path towards getting drafted, here's what I'm willing to put up with. I am willing to be embarrassed. I am willing to feel like shit. I am willing to be super scared. All of these things are going to happen because, and this exercise was born out of a conversation with a football player who talked about when I make a mistake within one or two thoughts, I'm thinking about Twitter and I shouldn't have to think about Twitter and all these people trolling me. I'm right, like, well, that's right. cool. We can make that go away if you quit football. But if you want to play football professionally, you're going to have people on Twitter talk about you. They aren't inseparable. And, and so do you want to play football bad enough that you will, will where you'll be willing to take the bad shit from Twitter? And when you reframe it like that, it's about what do you want to move towards more rather than get away from more? Love it. You, you put it in much better words. The heart set is not what keeps you up at night, but what gets you up in the morning. I absolutely love that. And I'm, I will tell you right now, I'm going to steal it. I'm going to use it. I will quote you on that though. You got um, it. And in this next story, this question probably digs into exactly where that came from for you. I, I want, you know, often I'll ask people that, how do you define toughness? What does it look like in your area? But in particular, then it becomes, well, how did you learn about that? And I think 
this is going to be a more pointed question for you than others, because part of your backstory is you dealt with a crippling phobia that should have stopped you from doing your job. If anyone has been, I mean, hell, I'm not allowed to be in the Air Force because I'm too big to get into one of those cockpits that you used to fly in. And so those are closed spaces. But you had an incident during your career involving, uh, you can explain a little more, but it gave you claustrophobia. And in order to continue doing what you love, you had to face your fear or almost use it as a co-pilot. Like it wasn't going away. You had to do something about it. Can you share that story with the listeners? Yes. And uh, you know, you're dealing with how to adapt to stress, adapt to change. So long story short, I was an instructor pilot in the Air Force first, and then I evolved into the F-16. I evolved. I got better and grew and then competed to get into that F-16. But three years into my 11-year active duty flying career, everything was going great for me. And I went scuba diving in the Caribbean with some buddies of mine. Never been before. Thought, you know, how hard could it be? You know, just give me a mask, put on a tank and just fly, you know, swim through the water. But needless to say, five minutes into the water, I was wishing I paid more attention to the mission briefing, right? Because I'm flailing like an idiot, improper technique, not using the proper, you know, my, my legs and then the lactic acids building up. Suddenly I can't move, start freaking out. My body aches from head to toe. My mask inadvertently separates I inhale a whole lung full of burning salt water, felt like my lungs were going to explode, and then had something called a panic attack. And I, I'm like, I, I, I thought I was going to die. No combat mission could even come close to that day. And I got out of the water and said, I'm never doing that again. A few days later, I'm back in the cockpit flying a training mission. The weather was terrible. Couldn't see the sun, the ground. We were socked into the clouds. And then I basically had the same panic attack that I had a few days prior. And you never had that before. Never had it before. I'm like, where the heck is this coming from? I freaked out. I thought there was something wrong with the oxygen as I became hypoxic and dizzy, but there was everything wrong with me. And so I became claustrophobic, probably not the best thing for a pilot to have. Right. And so it was basically post-traumatic stress disorder that didn't happen as a result of flying in combat. It happened as a result of almost dying a few days prior, and it reared its ugly head in the cockpit. And so for the next eight years of my 11-year active duty flying career, almost 3,000 hours of flight time, every single time I strapped into this plane, I had to deal with this fear, this phobia, this stress that tested my mental toughness in doing what I wanted to do more than anything else, which was to fly. And so my passion had to be greater than my fear. My focus on the outcome or on on being present, on flying that jet, on taking care of my team had to outweigh the focus on the fear. And so there's a lot that we could chat about here, but for those that are listening, things may be going great in your life. Business is great. Sports are going great. I'm doing well. And now I'm in a, in a, de- a bad streak. I'm having some failures. Some test results are going to pop up in my life. I'm going to have a divorce, a failure, issues with my kids or whatever. And you're going to be tested. And that testing, your ability to deal with the stress and fly through it will determine the resilience, your courage, your growth, and how you're able to handle that fear, deal with your stress and and come out the other side stronger and better and more prepared. And so part of my secret weapon was focusing on not the outcome, i.e. 
if somebody's going to make a tweet about me or embarrass myself in front of my fans or my teammates, but just stay present, stay present, stay in the moment. And by doing what I'm going to share with you, by distracting yourself from yourself, you can stay in the moment. And here's yeah. how we could do that. What helped me was sure my passion, my dream, my goal was important. But when the fear became intense and the panic ensued, I'd look out to my teammates, those folks who I was flying with and got focused on them. I got focused on my teammates. I got focused on the fact that they needed me. And if you're a parent listening to this, if you have someone in your life that you love, if you're, a, you're willing to totally distract yourself from yourself by loving them, by sacrificing for them, you're no longer worried about your fear. You're worried about taking care of them and doing your job. And you're like, man, responsibility, that, and, and, and that honor that's incumbent with the responsibility, the fact that others need you to perform, man, you'll go through the rigors of life and the trials and tribulations and the hell that I went through because you realize that others need you more. And that, yeah. that helped me through this big time. You're listening to Toughness, a podcast where some of the world's best performers from different fields share their personal stories about pressure, stress, and success. This series of interviews is a product of the Human Performance Think Tank, with thanks to the U.S. Army and Booz Allen Hamilton. Coming up later in the show. Now I'm flying in the clouds. I've got one engine, minimum thrust. I have fear, wondering if my other engine's going to quit. So damn I assume that that the thing that you learned there to look at other people when you're getting overwhelmed by fear to think about who else you're in this with and for that really led to your I think the title of your book Never Fly Solo I assume right. that's really a core element of it right Roger that yeah yeah just knowing that you have people that you can call out mayday to knowing that you have others there to take care of yourself number one yourself that I mentioned before but hey if the proverbial shit it's the fan who's going to be there for me have I nurtured those relationships? Do they trust me? Do I trust them? Now I could be more confident and present doing the job, knowing if a potential mistake happens or a threat comes my way. Hey, now I got teammates to back me up. And even more above this, this is where leadership comes in. The sense of responsibility yeah. that you have knowing that I've got to take care of my teammates because somebody may need me. Yeah. And that's what separates a follower and a leader. The leader says, I want to be the one responsible. I want to be the one that others are dependent on. I want to be put in that environment because I'm telling you, Patty, and for the folks listening, when I was a wingman flying on the flight, on the wing of my flight leading combat, I was much more scared than when I was flying as the lead because I was focused on that fear, wondering if I'd mess up, if I'd stay in position. When I was leading, the fear wasn't as important as my responsibility to take care of my teammates. I was distracted by the fear. The fear, I was distracted by helping them getting out of my head. And so, sure, I was like, shit, when I came back, I'm like, if I messed up, it would be me and my, my wingman's lives on the line. But in the moment, in the moment of flying, I was not focused on my fear because I was focused on my teammate. Thus, I was less fearful. Yeah. It's all psychological. As you well know, Patty, this is what you're an expert in. And so you got to do what you need to do to distract yourself from this devil in your head, the mind, which is our best friend and our biggest enemy, by 
outsourcing some of your accountability to your teammates and focusing on them. And then I think I call it thinking outside the cockpit, get out of your head, focus on the team, focus on the target, focus on the enemy, taking it out, right? Don't focus on the devil in your head and the fake fear, which is often the case because well, sometimes that fears aren't even real. Right. And even like, so you said something earlier, like when the fear is real, right? That for people who are in situations where it could be life or death or it could be right. millions of dollars or a job or whatever, that the fear is real. And even when it isn't real, sometimes it just feels real. And that's, that's right. all that it takes to distract you, right? Absolutely. But you mentioned the concept of you can only have, and depending on the study you read, but there's been thousands of them, anywhere between four to seven things in your conscious awareness at any given time. And so while we're filled up with fear and we're worried about screwing up or what people will say or what this is going to cost us, it shrinks the amount of attention we can pay to things that are actually useful to us in that moment, whether it be flying the plane, whether it be talking to our teammates, whether it be just being present for a conversation with your partner. Right. But when we switch our focus, when we pay more attention to the task that's in front of me, what I'm paying, what I'm doing, or the other cues that I'm paying attention to, there's no room left for that, whatever you called it before. The, some people call it the dictator in their head, that there's no room left to focus on how I feel or it's, on what might happen. It's, it's full absorption in the task at hand, which is really what leads to flow. Yeah, absolutely. Well said, Patty. Well said. And it, you, you just took the words right out of my mouth. That that's how when we become fully present, when we're in flow, we're totally focused. That's why I have an acronym for fear. You know, it's either forget everything and run, right? And I think somebody else created that, although I thought I did. Sometimes we <laughs> recreate content. But then I made up focus, energy, accept responsibility. Focus, energy, and then accept responsibility that you made the decision to fly that day, that you're Mr. Top Gun, you got these wings on your chest, that you're a fighter pilot, and accept that responsibility and drive through that. But focusing your energy, you see, you know, we all have responsibilities as parents, as teammates, as leaders of our companies, as spouses, we have to take on that role. And I think what happens a lot today, Patty, is that we outsource our responsibility to others and we just quit too early and we have too many outs because we haven't instilled in us this sense of duty and moral responsibility that should elevate our ability to quit. Yeah. You see, ego in this case is a great thing. Ego for me as a fighter pilot, you know, coming back from some of my stressful missions, I'm like, man, I don't want to do this shit again. This sucked. I had this panic attack, whatever. And then I'm like, there's no way I'm quitting on my team. There's no way I'm going to embarrass myself. I'm doing my damn job. And sometimes ego will push you to choose to fly. Your passion will help you to choose to fly. Your acceptance of your responsibility to help others will help you to choose to fly. And that's I love that. how you make the decision to work out, sacrifice on your diet to study the, whatever needs to be done to be that top gun. And it's, and it's a very mental game. I love the way you flipped the common and very popular pop psychology phrase of there's even a book about it called ego is the enemy there are useful elements within that book and for anyone who's read it and loved it great stuff but ego is not always the enemy just like any other emotion it can be flipped it can be used it can be channeled and in order to push through some things that aren't comfortable or that we would normally opt out of you can actually leverage the ego to say you know i've committed to this i am a top gun i'm going to go through this and, and i i heard you say a couple of times already you 
rather than other people might talk about. I had a NASCAR driver on the other day talk about driving through some of his feelings, right? And other people talk about pushing through. And you've used the word flying through. And as I pictured it in my mind, there are many times when I might be running a mindfulness session or a mental training where we talk about sitting there and watching clouds in the sky. Even one of the most popular mindfulness apps talks about that as treating your thoughts and feelings like clouds. They're going to come, they're going to go, you can't, they're just going to happen, right? And it's a beautiful, I'm going to even upgrade this metaphor because imagine flying as a fighter pilot and getting up there and you realize there's clouds. That doesn't mean you go down and land the plane. Like you have to accept the clouds and you fly through them. This is just part of being a pilot. You will run into clouds, but it's your commitment to the mission, to the destination, to the people who are on your wings. Or if you're a passenger pilot, commercial pilot, the people who you're actually carrying with you is, well, there's clouds there, but that doesn't mean we change the plan. We pay more attention to things, but we're going to fly through them as opposed to around them. And we have that skill back to the skill set. I think many people are afraid to fly through their fears because they don't have the skills, the tools, the assets, the disciplines necessary to do it. So it goes back to, you know, I call it being, or in the military, we call it being mission ready. A fighter pilot is mission ready, MR. You're passionate, you've got a great team, but you're also mission ready. I'm, I'm prepared. I contingency plan. I went through the training. I've sacrificed. I've asked for help. I've been embarrassed in front of my team before the actual mission, before the game. And so challenging yourself and building that competence and capabilities will then create the courage and willingness to keep pushing forward. And the last thing, you know, you talk about willingness, which is important, but it's that will, that that passion and drive. But I have a saying, an acronym for WIN, and you mentioned WIN before. Work it now. We work it now. We don't put off tomorrow the work that needs to be done today. And work, I have another little quote, we say in the Air Force or in the military, the more you sweat in peace, the less you bleed in battle. And so the winners, the best fighter pilots, business leaders, sports professionals, they sweat on the fields of training so that they're more confident and they'll avoid the, the challenges in combat. So you've got to be willing to put in the time. I'm teaching my 10-year-old son right now in soccer. You know, I'm like, he, he's solid, right? But he, he gives up too early and he, he gets down on himself and he's not putting the time in, fall in love with that ball and doing the work. I'm like, you've got to be, be outside training and inconveniencing yourself. The best fighter pilots I flew with, and I know this for a fact because I did it myself, put in the time, we trained, we practiced, we sacrifice so that by the time we were in the air, we were competent. Don't forget your training and the assets and tools that will help you in the air. Yeah. Uh, it's a, a reinforcement again of something that's commonly mentioned by guests on the show. I talk about it with players who might be on the bench or waiting to get drafted is, you know, everything comes to him or her who hustles while they wait. And that's a key element of practice and preparation and diligence that allows people to master things so they can get into flow easier. They don't have to think as much. But a lot of people love that when I've asked people who listen to the show, what's, what's, the, what's your favorite bit? They, talk, they say it's the bits where people talk about when they're in the moment and it's too late to stop it. Well, they would call in the mission critical community an immersion event, or I sometimes refer to it as a sweaty palms moment, that once you're here, it's worse to go back. You can't stop it. You're in, you're doing this thing that might go sour, but you have to do it now. 
And so you can't even think about landing the plane. You're up there and, and it has to happen. What's your best example of that sort of a moment where it's too late to turn back now? And it may be a specific mission where you're like, wow, the shit hit the fan and now we're just got to go do X. Or it might just be every time we take off, like by the time I, I buckle in and we've done our checks, this is like we're going and there's nothing to do. Yeah, you hit it right on the head. You know, for me, you know, this is why I talk about commitment big time when I coach folks and when I do my keynotes. There's commitment to excellence, the passion. There's commitment to the mission, which is preparation and commitment to the team, which is our wingmen, the men and women we fly with. But imagine, you know, having claustrophobia and knowing that you're going to take off on a seven-hour night combat mission over Iraq or Kosovo. The biggest fear for me was the preparation phase, the day before, the night before, getting up, walking to the jet, you know, that anxiety, right, that we all feel in sports or business at an important meeting or a cold call or uh, when we're stepping up the plate and in the, in the uh, bottom of the ninth and two out and you're down by a run. Once you're in the plane, once you take off, release the brakes and get airborne, there is no turning back, bro. And for me, if I knew I was flying into the weather on that seven-hour mission, I'm like, oh boy, here we go, fully committed. It's like also when my wife got pregnant. Like, oh <laughs> I'm going to be a dad, fully committed. You see, some people fail in their responsibilities and they look at divorce too easily. I don't want to get into a relationship aspect here, but so many people change everything when they're like, now they have a child coming into the world of that. You see that child born, no turning back, fully committed. Others are depending on me. You see this life in front of you. So for me, releasing the brakes, hearing the clear for takeoff call and going down that runway, it was, it was important. But I want to share a particular story because even when I was flying a solo flight in a T-37, which is a twin engine subsonic jet, this is before I flew the F-16, Long story short, I had an engine failure in one of my engines. T-37 had two engines. You could still fly with one engine, but the F-16 had only one. Fortunately, I didn't have to have that situation in, in the F-16, but I had to take this plane with one engine and come back and fly through the weather, through the clouds, and do an instrument approach down to minimums to that runway. Now, I'm flying in the clouds. I've got one engine, minimum thrust. I have fear, wondering if my other engine's going to quit, wondering if I'm going to do the skill necessary to fly this instrument approach. My heart's pounding. I'm dealing with this claustrophobia as well. And it was like, holy crap, I've got to stand the moment. I've got to land this plane. And I remember consciously thinking how my heart was beating, but I'm like, come on, I can do this. Let's go. I've done these a thousand and one times. Follow my instruments, listen to the instructor or the, uh, the radar controller, give me the vectors in to get on approach. And just flew it down and had to stay in that moment, in the flow. Because guess what? If I became spatially disoriented and went upside down in the weather, if I wasn't able to fly that mission, if I had to go around multiple times, I would run out of fuel. I then have to bail out of that plane as well. And so that pressure-filled moment, in addition to, by the way, the times I was shot at in combat, which is another thing, but this was the most pressure I ever felt. As a matter of fact, Patty, I don't even talk about this in my speeches. You brought it up for me. Okay. I, it's not even in my book. Oil system malfunction probably was 1993 or 94 or something. Stayed in the zone, faced my fear, was in the zone, although I was panicking a bit. But I landed that jet safely, came back and said, man, shit hot. I did it, man. I faced my fear, landed the jet. 
Here's the bottom line, Patty. We're going to be flying through our fear. We're going to exhibit the passion, the sweaty palms, all that anxiety. But if we can fly through it and still do the job despite it, shit hot, you're a champion. You're a top gun. All these players, all the fighter pilots were dealing with fear. We're all dealing with it. Resilience and mental toughness is saying, I'm going to subjugate that. I'm going to elevate my mindset, my passion, stay so present, even though the heart's pounding. And I'm going to get up to bat, take the swing. I'm going to fly through that engine failure and make it happen. That, to me, is mental toughness. It's not being cool hand Luke, you know, or just chilling and hanging out. Hey, if you could do that, great. Yeah. But most of those folks are still panicked behind that facade. 100%. It's It's the great lie, right? It's the great con is that we're all supposed to have confidence. It's not there all the time. When you've got your A game, when both engines are working and the, the skies are clear, you feel great. Or maybe you don't if you're claustrophobic, but you feel as good as you're going to feel. Right. But when one engine's down and it's and the weather's shitty and you, your comms are a little shaky and you've got your C game, then it becomes more about, it's not about feeling good anymore. That's that's not important. For you to land the plane, it doesn't matter how you feel. The plane you always care. fall back on that training again too. You, it falls back on that training. How did I, was I through those pressure moments before, you know, and that, that helped as well. Well, what but, about when you, when you talked about there being shot at, right? So you, you've been shot at prior to this event that you're talking about where your engine went out? There's, no, there's no, not- I, I flew the F-16 after that. So I was okay. shot at two years after that event. And so being engaged in the air, so that, that's definitely, a, I can't go back now. Like someone else has decided that this is going to be a thing. I, don't, I might want to run away. That's probably going to make it worse. And so at that moment, when it's not even a mishap, it's actually over aggression from an opponent from someone else who's in the same space as you. Does that create more fear or is it like, can you talk us through that? Because that's an experience that not not many people have experienced and thankfully won't have to during their lives. But as that happens to you, can you recall what the sensations are in your body and what goes through your mind? So uh, (laughs) it's kind of weird thinking about it because when I put myself there, I, I, I can get those sweaty palms, you know, knowing like, when your life is on the line and you know, when you're, you're taking off and you cross a certain area, people are going to try to kill you and you see missiles coming at you. I've had four surface to air missiles, you know, 55 foot telephone poles with bombs on the end, trying to shoot me down, watching them track my aircraft. Your life changes kind of pretty quickly, right? You're, you're like, man, I, I better do what I need to do. The fear is there. I mean, I was the first time it happened, I, I didn't do the pr- procedure very well. You got to lower the nose and gain airspeed and kind of kinematically defeat the missile. I'll be as unclassified as I can. But I did it like probably 50% of what I could, even though I trained for it a ton of times. You don't know how you're going to handle when the proverbial shit hits the fan, right? But one mission, I had two missiles shot at me, did the funky chicken, tried to do my maneuver. I'm like, that was embarrassing. The missiles blew up away from me, thank God. <laughs> but then 10 minutes afterwards, the missiles two other missiles were shot on me. And this time I'm like, okay, dealt with this before. I know what to do. I was a lot more confident because I had that experience, the scars of character and training. I I already built that up. And then I'm like, okay, cool. And I was able to go through that and didn't mean once again that I wasn't afraid. Didn't mean that afterwards. I'm like, okay, you know, I'm not freaking out, but the show must go on. The mission must continue. Other wingmen needed me to do my job, to stay in my lane, to monitor the threats. 
And we were part of a major package most of the time, not just F-16 pilots, but stealth bombers and other aircraft taking out strategic targets. My job was to do A, B, and C to support others do, who are doing X, Y, and Z. So it goes back once again to our responsibility. My son made a shot this weekend on, on Saturday during his game. Great shot on goal, hit the crossbar, bounced off. He didn't know it bounced off or was out in front of the goal because as soon as he saw it hit the crossbar, he turned around, was like, was getting all pissed off and angry. And we're like, turn around, the ball's rebounding. Get back in the game. Stop focusing on your failure. You have another opportunity to score and you've got a game going on with teammates who are depending on you. Get your crap together. Great lesson for him. Great lesson Once for again, everyone. Right? Leaders got to stay in the game. Follow up, follow through, get out of your head. You can worry about it in the debrief, figure out what you did right or wrong, but don't give up when then the failure comes. You, the mission must continue. So really, really important in a life to remember that we still have missions to perform. It's not just that one situation. It ain't over. And not even until you land, it's till you're, taxi back in the hangar, engines down, and you're at the bar or having breakfast. <laughs> sometimes the safety incidents happen, taxiing back, right? right Messing right, around right. and losing that focus. And an F-16, yeah. man, 24-7, as long as you're in that jet and that engine's running and you're in the cockpit, you got to be game on. You are listening to Toughness. And if you're this far into the episode, there's a good chance you like the show. You can add to the conversation with the whole review, rate, subscribe, and share thing. If this helps just one person who needs to hear what our guests share to get them through today, it'll all be worth it. Stay tuned for more coming up, including... Leaders lift. We encourage. We see somebody with broken wings or discouraged or full of fear and doubt, and we lift them. So damn proud. I was going to jump on the example of your son there and your own, like, ridiculous story. It's so cool to be able to be brought into that moment. Appreciate you sharing it as best you can of when things are bad. And like you said, you might lose your life. Our emotions cause our attention to be dragged into the future. Am I going to see my wife again? To be dragged into the past. Did I listen enough in that last lesson for your son? It's like, oh my God, people are going to tell me I'm stupid for missing that or, uh, you know, thinking about how he hit it. He's not in the moment not focusing on what he could do next. And then you presented a great example of this doesn't just apply to those clutch moments where a missile is coming for your ass or where you've just missed your shot on goal, that it actually applies to the moments in between sometimes, perhaps just as importantly, because you can still have, you never know how important it is the moment after you've taken the shot. Right. You never know how important it is the moment after you've landed the plane until you're actually finished. And like you said, you're at the bar. I thought you were going to say you're having a drink, but you're having Mm -hmm. breakfast. But either way, it's applicable to all the moments where our attention can be dragged somewhere else. But in reality, the most important place it can be, unless we're doing a planning exercise or a reflection exercise, is really like what's happening right now. Roger that. And then, then that's preparation and coaching and somebody that they'll kick your butt, right? Like, let's say somebody didn't, wasn't there to kind of correct them and give that, use that as a teaching moment. Oh, we had a teaching moment afterwards. The dad got wing nuts, right? <laughs> and so your ability to be approachable and coachable and saying, oh, I didn't realize, some people just forget about it, right? And this is where training and mentorship and coaching and humility and openness to be embarrassed and 
openness to say, you're right, I need to start working on this. So key for leaders, players, fighter pilots, and business people to always be approachable and coachable every single day. And this is how we get better because many of us just haven't been through those moments and we're innocently ignorant, right? Right. And what's beautiful about business and these podcasts where people are investing their time listening and watching and saying there's some nugget in here, a blind spot that I had flying my plane. This is important. We're going to have blind spots. We may not have the situational awareness because if we're flying in this plane, we can't see what's going on behind us. There's threats and things going on that we can't see. So a wingman, a coach, a mentor, a teammate can help you see what you can't see, build your awareness, build your training, and help you to anticipate some of those on-goal moments or those missile launches to say, hey, you know what? I don't need to experience this on my own. I've watched other people do it. Other people have trained me for those contingencies, those what-ifs, those things that you don't think are going to happen that do. So there's no better training tool than real experience, but let's learn from other people's experience as well and, and learn from our teammates. And this is another reason why I tell my son and why every player should be paying attention from the bench. Watch what's going on. Don't just slack off and BS with your buddies and talk about, uh, you know, girls or sushi. You got to get, stay in that game and, and pay attention and learn from the mistakes and also be a cheerleader for your teammates. And that's something right. that I'm teaching my son as well. Things have changed since I used to sit on the bench as a kid because we never talk about sushi. We might have talked about girls, but <laughs> sushi was never a topic of conversation. My son's a fanatic of, about sushi. And oh, I, well, good. He's got going taste. out for sushi after that game. So anyway. Uh, I wish I discovered it when I was your son's age. I didn't know about it as a kid either. I, I probably saved my parents a ton of money. <laughs> my son eats a fortune on it. <laughs> now, I, I love the tangible physical analogy of having blind spots, which you actually do. It's not a metaphor for fighter pilots. And the fact that you need people around you or instruments even to help you be more aware of that. And I have stolen this exercise from John Gordon, who's a, another great public speaker. and He's a has, friend of mine too. He's a great, yeah, great guy. Amazing speaker. speaker. Talking of the energy that I mentioned at the start of the show, you two remind me of each other a lot. He has an exercise where he, I think he calls it the three or the four H's. And I often will run this with the guests where we'll ask to share a hardship, which you've given plenty of, a highlight and then the one that I want to dig in on here is Hero, someone who has helped you with protect with checking your six. How did you discover that that coaching was so important? Because it's often something as we grow up, particularly in young adolescents, or as we're becoming experts as in our twenties, we think we're experts anyway. That we we're like, oh, I don't need that coaching. I'm good. I got this. What what was that for you? Who was that for you who helped open up your eyes to things that you didn't know? I think it happened in the military. You know, there's so many individual people who've trained me, who've coached me, who had the courage to put me in my place, to tell me what I needed to hear and not what I wanted to hear. But in the military, hey, let's face it, you know, you've got to be used to feedback. You've got to be used to having people tell you you're wrong. And so I learned that in the military at a very early age to be open to that feedback. That feedback is fuel for growth. Uh, in my book, Never Fly Solo, I share some stories about some times when I've messed up about my commanders who disciplined me and who punished me because I needed to be punished to learn, right? But also the ones who, instead of reprimanding me if I messed up, asked, hey, Walter, what's going on at home? You know, I, I showed up late one day for a mission, which is a big deal. And he's like, instead of reprimanding me, he said, hey, is everything okay at home? Do you need a day off? How, you know, how can I help you? He realized that maybe there was something that was 
more important in my life that was going on that may have taken precedence for whatever reason it was over flying that day. And so those type of examples of mentors and coaches who disciplined, trained, punished me, so to speak, but also were empathetic and caring and compassionate because, hey, you're going to have some days where you're going to have an engine failure. Your gear aren't down and locked before you land. Your kids are going to be found out of school. Your divorce paperwork is going to be signed. You're got COVID-19, God forbid, something's going to happen. And when we acknowledge the humanity in each other, show each other that we care, not accepting mediocrity, not accepting diminishing of standards, but just saying, before I assume that you messed up and you very well may have, maybe there's something going on. And how can I lead you to overcoming that challenge? And, and how can I serve you as a leader? And that's, I think, a, a sign of a great leader, a great teammate, a great wingman. I'm immediately struck by the picture. I'm a big Star Wars fan, so apologies to people who aren't. And I don't mean to downplay the reality of what you were talking about with a lot of your stories here, Waldo, but there's a classic scene in, in the first Star Wars where Luke's trying to bomb the Death Star and the person who's on his comms, I can't even remember who it is, they're saying, stay on target, stay on target. And it's basically a coach doing exactly what you said. Like he's holding him to, you made this commitment, you're going to be okay, you've got to keep flying because every part of the human who was doing the flying, wanted to get out of there, wanted to bug out, wanted to turn around and deal with the bogeys that were on his six instead of being like, okay, here, I can do this and having someone hold him to that standard and, and recognizing that the human in him wanted to do something else, but holding him to the standard and his commitment. And it may not be the best analogy, but it was definitely the one that popped in my yeah, head. Yeah, I know exactly the point. I think he's going, he's in that, on that thing and he's going down and in he's the being tunnel, shot yeah. at. And, man, that's what it's like flying in combat. That is extremely realistic. They've, in Vietnam, World War II, going down down the pike, uh, doing a, a strafing run, it's intense. But it's also, it's encouragement. So there's a video, I could play it now, but I won't just for time's sake, but there's a lot of times we'll be flying or we'll be up at that or we'll be flying and, and you say, you could do this. You know, you're looking good. I got your back. Go make it happen. I believe in you, right? Yeah, yeah. And sometimes that encouragement, that lifting, that coaching, you know, showing folks the, the right way and lifting them up. You know, I've been saying leaders lift. We encourage. We see somebody with broken wings or discouraged or full of fear and doubt, and we lift them. We encourage them. We enlighten them. We encourage encourage we give courage yeah so remember the the power in that when your negativity and self-talk is putting you down maybe a wingman that trusted partner who knows you loves you cares about you can be just what you need to make that decision to fly and fly through the fear yeah so and, and i think that like i like to i'm going to grab that there because it's a perfect illustration of I talk about with coaches, when I'm working with coaches, because I do work with the coaches as well as the performers almost just as much, is that their number one job is to direct the attention of the performer. Mm. And so when you are encouraging, often it's directing attention away from the fears or the, the doubts, making them feel okay about it, and they can put their attention back on what's important now. What's my task? What am I doing? And that that is a, a perfect example. Walter, if you are a coach, which you are technically these days, and you were going to give advice to the generic audience who listens to this, which is mostly people who are trying to do cool shit in their life, and they're also doing it under duress, there's pressure, stress, they may not be flying 
a fighter jet, but they're still doing things that are tough and challenging and trying to stay in the moment. What would you say the simplest takeaway you can give to the listeners so they can apply this sort of mindset or heart set in their own battles? So I'm getting back to some of our, our daily rituals and regimens, you know, we're, we're born with, or we grow up with certain tools and attributes and assets that we can use to help us become peak performers, to deal with change, to build our resilience. And we don't want to limit those tools. And so by showing up and listening to this podcast, by doing something different, by reading the book, attending the workshop, doing the workout, changing your diet, seeking new forms of knowledge, and then practicing that, that will help you with not just eight tools, but maybe 16 or 55 or 100. And so keep seeking ways to do things and then put it into practice. Don't just philosophize about it. Sweat, get in the gym of your life and start working out and training in that. Also, that may mean building more relationships in my life. The reason why I talk about not flying solo and the importance of wingmen, men and women in your life is that there's never a problem in my life. And I've been dealing a lot of them with elderly parents and personal stuff that's going on just like everyone. Hey, this phone, that email, the relationships that I built, mayday, mayday, I hmm. need help is a great way to build mental toughness. Don't be afraid to ask for help. Get out there and seek others in your life by giving to them, being a valued partner to them, by being a resource, a, a confidence builder, a, a referrer, a trainer, a coach. Give your wings away. Build up that formation of others in your life as much as possible. So God forbid you need help and the proverbial crap hits the fan, you're going to have a host of other people in your life to help you, to coach you, to mentor you, and to lift you up. So- that's, I think, two important wing tips. To, yeah. yeah. I, I love the way you put the, obviously, seeking more knowledge and applying it is really important. But I love the way you said, actually reaching out for help is a way to build mental toughness. It's almost counterintuitive, right? It makes sense to me. But can you just riff on that a little bit? Why is that yeah. tough? Yeah, because some people, once again, it goes back to ego, right? They don't want to show weakness by asking for help. They don't want to, you know make others think that they may not have the confidence, the skill set, et cetera. But it's worse when you don't ask for help and fail at the challenge that you're dealing with. It's worse, especially when your failure to do your job is going to impact other players or other people or other wingmen in your formation. So just be willing to take off your mask and show your humanity will give you other tools and resources and ideas and how to improve, but it'll also humanize you in front of your teammates. They'll have more respect for you as a person, especially now when there's so much chaos in the world. And I think it'll also allow them to bring you their problems or reveal them to you. If you're working with a teammate or a wingman in your formation and they're hiding their problems from you because you're afraid or they're afraid that you're going to judge them and demean them, then they won't bring you their problems or share them with you. Remember in life, especially in team sports and the collaborative world that we live in, we need others to share their problems and challenges with us and give us the opportunity to coach them up, to find them resources, to seek out. Like if somebody's having an issue in my life that I can't solve, hey, I'm seeking out others. Part of my day every day is connecting others to people who need help, right? I don't get any benefit out of it. 
it's part of building that culture of collaboration and trust and giving your wings away in life that I think is so important, that service mindset. And so uh, you want to find out other people's challenges and problems that are on your, in your formation so you can help them. And, and the way you do that is by saying, hey, he's human, Patty's human, Sabrina, Lisa, they're human, they share their mistakes, maybe I need to reveal it to them. And now we come together, solve problems. We don't allow, once again, diminishing of standards. We don't allow breaches in morality, right? Those are things that need to be non-negotiable severely, right? Those are non-negotiable. But as long as they're putting their heart into it, if they can get the training and the encouragement needed to to win, that's an important attribute in success in life. Super important. And I want to use Sabrina and Lisa, I think, were the names that you, you mentioned there. And Patty, like for those who are listening and, and you may need that sort of help or, or love what Waldo has put out there, if you are Sabrina or Lisa, I know I, I myself will be doing this as well. Where is the best place for people to find you? So I put, I put something on the screen there. I'm, as a gift Perfect. to your listeners, I'm going to allow you to get the download to my New York Times bestseller, Never Fly Solo. It's 20 bucks on Audible. It's uh, 25 or $26 hardcover. This is free for all of you. If you go to yourwingman.com forward slash NFS, like Never Fly Solo, put your name and email address in. I'll send you a link. And there's also a link to my LinkedIn profile, Waldo Waldman. You can use your QR code that, but if you Google Waldo Waldman, go on LinkedIn, Instagram, Twitter, that's the best way to find me. Let's just let me know that you heard about me in Patty's podcast and love it. has all my information as well. That's awesome. Uh, to track me down. Well, well, I appreciate you, man, for uh, giving that to the listeners. That was an unexpected bonus and a good way for people to find you. So really appreciate that. Final thing, what's your hope? The work that you do now, you've obviously done some amazing stuff with your career just as a fighter pilot and as a leader in in the armed forces you also now provide direction inspiration support to a lot of people why like what are you hoping to achieve with the rest of your career from here on out you know i mentioned before my i'm a father of a 10 year old little boy i want to give him courage and confidence to go out there and face his fears but but ultimately it's the world you know when people are are shrouded in fear and I call, you know, in the hangar of doubt, paralyzed by their fear. I want to get people airborne flying, possibly getting shot at, possibly risking some things. But that's where growth is. That's where life is. It's not hiding in the hangar. It's not being MIA, missing an action. It's MIA making it happen. And when people are airborne, stepping out of their comfort zones, executing, risking, challenging and growing, the world improves. People become more humble and compassionate, empathetic and confident. New inventions are created. People are helped. Problems are solved. We need people to be activated to take action, not live paralyzed by fear, letting others do the work. We need more collaboration and connection more than ever. And that's my goal. I'm an, I call myself an activational speaker. I want to activate you to act. Right? The world rewards performers, not philosophers. We reward action, not attitude. So get out there, take some risks, step out of your comfort zone, build that mental toughness, and you do it by being that trusted partner, the wingman, a wingman to others yeah. in your life. Yeah. Uh, well, wow. What a mission. Another episode of Goosebumps right there. And I will sign up to be your wingman on that mission any day. Waldo, I appreciate your time. Thank you for sharing everything with your listeners. We'll put that link underneath the show as well. Free download of of Waldo's stuff and good luck with that mission. It sounds amazing. 
look forward to following up further down the track. Right on, Patty. God bless you, brother. Thank you. So what is it that the beast don't yeah. do? Uh, excellent, busting with the best of them. Simply impressive, no worrying or stressing. Uh, I'm getting my right now. Put your shades 